listener production. Hello there, and good evening. The opening of the National Television Service. We're going to show you something of how we bring these people to your homes, how we bring them to that small, bright screen in your living room that you're watching now. We've come a long way since the invention of the very first screen. Colours have gotten brighter, images clearer and screens bigger and smaller as well. Today, today Apple is going to reinvent the phone. And with each technological step, screens have become an increasingly important part of our daily lives. But each step comes with a new challenge. Why we as paediatricians want you to limit the amount of screen time as much as possible. Five ways violent video games affect children. A recent study shows the more screen time for preschool age kids, the more problems they have paying attention as they grow. The conversation around screen time and children is particularly tricky. We all know children love screens. And a plethora of educational games, apps and TV shows can hold real benefits for growing minds. But how much screen time is too much? And how do we balance this in our growing world of screens? I'm Emma Watkins, a children's entertainer and lover of all things science and research. And this is the Baby Lab podcast, where I team up with parents as well as experts from the Marks Baby Lab at Western Sydney University, who are gaining valuable insights into how babies learn, grow and interact. On today's episode, we're exploring the good and the bad of screens and how to find the approach that works best for you and your family. I'm Dr. Fran Doyle. I'm a clinical psychologist and researcher from Western Sydney University. Wow. And how long have you been researching in this particular area? Oh, I feel like it's been over 10 years now, but I couldn't remember the exact number. (laughs) Fran, can you define to us what screen time actually means? Yeah, that's a good one. It's, I guess, all the many things that we might be having as technology. It might be Mm. the TV shows, it might be things on the iPad, it could be a range of things there. But it probably does also include things like, you know, doing FaceTime with people. Mm. And see, that is an interactive thing where we're getting interactions with others that might not be as bad as something where an infant isn't getting any interaction with someone. So it's a whole host of different things that we might consider as sort of, I guess, technology broadly that might be from a space where things are interactive to not interactive. We really want to ask you today the contentious nature about screen time and the discussion Mm -hmm. around the positive and negative perhaps uh, benefits and consequences. Can you tell us about this discussion on a broad level first? It is definitely a contentious area. And I guess that out there, there are general guidelines that say, especially for infants and those under two years old, that there should be no screen time. And yet what we find in our modern families is that's just not possible. Mm. So it's figuring out how to find the balance and trying to find out why it is that we might not want screen time and why it is that we might want to use it. Dr Doyle is bang on there. The discussion around the use of screens shouldn't be black or white. It's a balance and there's both pros and cons to the use of screens with children. 
On today's episode, we're going to meet two parents who have very different approaches when it comes to how they use screens in their homes. And although they may differ in how they use screens, they share a desire to make the best decision they can for their own families, whatever that looks like. My name's George Serador. I'm like a professor at Western Sydney University. My son's 18, so he's just started uni kind of thing. And then I have a one-year-old with my, my wife now. And so that's a whole new experience because uh, there's two of us, which is much easier, I have to say. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's great. And then we also, our son is still living with us. He also has this great relationship with the baby. And, and so it's all been a lot of fun. So you must have seen a very big change in terms of the technological society that we're in now compared to the time with your son. What are the main differences and challenges as a parent in terms of screen time? Yeah, so this is an interesting point because, you know, when I look at it, I think technology has always been advancing, Mm. but the fear of new technology has been here forever. (laughs) <laughs> so um, I see all the same discussion points now that I saw with my son that actually I saw when I was a kid. Right. You know, to me, it's, I don't know, it's just I, for some reason, people are really afraid of these new things. And I look at them like the technology has provided us with amazing opportunities to kind of do things in a different way. So when I look at screen time, I think screen time is such a bad term because, you know, there's so many different forms of screens. Yep. And what you're doing on that screen is is way more important than the fact that it's a screen. Like, I think that's one of the problems with the current way that it's being looked at. My name's Ariane. I'm a mother of one. My daughter just turned one a few weeks ago. I'm a communications professional, and I really enjoy the process of being a mother. We're really interested in the discussion around screen time and screen use in the home. What are the pressures do you feel as a parent? There's a lot of pressure from different places. So I come from a family where my mother is very anti-screen time. At the age of about, I think, 12, our TV died in quotation marks. At 12? At 12. And so for a lot of my teenage years, we didn't have a TV at home. So what was happening before? Oh, I would watch a bit of play school and things like that as a child and growing up, but there was a certain period at which we just stopped watching TV and obviously this was before smartphones. Now my mother, she sees how much my daughter sees us on phones and she's very judgmental about it. And so I am nowhere near as strict as she would like, um, but at the same time I do feel like I'm a lot stricter than a lot of my peers. Me and my husband have spoken a bit about how we want to deal with screens. I noticed when she was probably around nine months, give or take, she was really aware of us being on our screens. And obviously, if we're giving attention to something, she wants Mm. our attention. So she wants to give the phone's attention. And if you took phones off her, she would have a huge meltdown. That was a real triggering moment for me that she was getting like obsessed with a phone and she was nine months old. So we took a bit of a step at that point and thought, how are we going to handle this? Do you know roughly how much screen time you do have in a day? For my daughter? Yeah. Actual screen time is probably a couple of minutes and it's usually on selfie mode on the camera. Wow. She loves the selfie mode. (laughs) When we're using phones around her, we can usually 
distract her quickly. So if I've sent a quick text message, I can get my phone away and then play with her so she's not wanting the phone. But if we're taking a photo of her, she realises after like 30 seconds or a minute and she wants the phone. And so we do, do give her for a short period on selfie mode and she'll literally just wander around the house like with the phone on selfie mode and take the most hilarious pictures and videos. My f- camera is full. I have to go and delete them um, because they're just completely useless photos. So George and Ariane have two very different approaches when it comes to screen time in the home. But like I mentioned before, they share a desire to make the best parenting decisions possible for their families. And as we've learned in this series, these decisions can sometimes be stressful and comparing yourself to other parents isn't always the best path. So we do see that there's some people who've decided they're not going to use any screens in the home. And then there's people who really want to use them. There's going to be everything in between there. And like many things in in parenting and caregiving, these are individual decisions that are made in the context of that family for what the parents hope is, is the best outcome for their child. And so it is a lot of decisions. A lot of people have opinions and yet there's no exact right or wrong, you know. We've got to think about how to make sure that it's okay that some parents don't want to have any screens in the home because they've made the decision that they're going to really prioritise other things. And that's okay. There's going to be things that that they like and that they do in their family that are different and that are great for, for building the kind of person that they want to build and the little brain that they want to build in their house. Other families going to say, actually, no, we really want to use some of these screens. And so with those families, there's going to be things that they're deciding that they're prioritising and that they're going to say are more in, enjoyable and make a better household for them. Of course, with those families, we're just making sure that we're not overdoing it, but each parent has to make their own decision here. And I can tell you, everyone has an opinion on nearly everything and it makes it really hard for families. And so we do see lots of times when parents are really concerned about, have I made the right decision? Have I you know, shown the right shows? Have I done it this way? And so it is a lot for any sort of parent to be trying to decide. It seems like there are particular topics in parenting that come with a certain amount of external pressure and expectation. And if you talk to any parent about these, they'll probably be able to share a story of a time when somebody else commented on something they did as a parent. You might remember Megan McNally from our episode on gender, who often received comments about her choice to dress her daughter in neutral clothing. My family were very much waited until she was born to then start buying things. And I had to be very specific and say, you know, that fluffy dress and stuff, that's not us. And my mum, you know, she still will try to slip things in. slowly, ever so slowly. Yeah, she'll always comment, oh, pink really suits her, doesn't it? You know, things like that. Or Jennifer Weinberg from our episode about Milestones. So I'm in a lovely, amazing mom's group. A lot of them are very like, oh, the milestones, the milestones, the milestones. And I've never been like that. Everyone had an app. When are they sleeping? When are they pooping? When are they drinking their bottles? And everyone's putting everything in the app. And I would go home and I'd be like, do I need to get this app? Do I need to get this app? This is a lot of pressure. This isn't to say that those making these comments were ill-intentioned, but making parenting decisions can be tricky enough. There's a lot of parent shaming that goes on, and I think that that is just a terrible thing, right? Like, 
you know, this kind of thing like, oh, if you do more than this number of hours of screen time, you're a terrible parent. And I think, you know, situations are so different across different families. You know, I've got sort of a unique experience because I was a single dad, single full-time dad, like 15 years ago when that was pretty uncommon. Mm. And one of the things I really learned in that is, Jesus, it's really hard to be a single parent. And like, there's all these women have been doing that for a long time. And nobody appreciates that. And so then I'm thinking, and then you're going to do things like shame them because they're going to use whatever, the TV, something to entertain the, the child while they're trying to cook dinner and wash the clothes and get everything done. I mean, it's it's terrible. It's like we should be supporting them and saying like, look, it's okay to use devices to help you get stuff done. You need to take care of your family. And if that means, yeah, you got to sit the, the child down and let them watch TV or plan a, a device, but that's better than like, you being stressed out and 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 then you yelling at the kids because you can't, you know, get everything done. Like, it's just, I, I, I wish we were more aware and sensitive of that. So for me, you know, I got my son an iPad when he was five, I think, because I was, you know, when the first screen time recommendations came out and they were like, the American Pediatric Association had this thing about two hours, and I was like, where is that two hours coming from? And because I am an academic, I just sort of started digging into the research to say, why did they decide on two hours? Because I was like, well, where did this magic number come from? Doing all the research, I discovered there was no background for that. There was no data to support it. It was just a random decision that a group of clinicians made and said, oh, let's let's pick two hours. And so that made me skeptical of all of the screen time stuff that was going on. So then I looked at screen time as watching TV, not a great use of your brain kind of thing. But, you know, playing a game on an iPad where you have to actually move things and figure out how things are going to move around, to me, that's education. So I was happy to have my son doing games on the, the iPad because I thought that was him exploring and developing in a digital world. But, you know, that's actually similar to exploring and developing in, in the real world. So, I, you know, I, I don't see it as a big challenge, actually. I see it as more of like a, it's a resource that can be used. Through his own research, George found that his own views around screen time didn't fit with the recommended guidelines at the time that his son was five. But that was 12 years ago. So what do the guidelines say now? In Australia, we have the 24-hour movement guidelines. And so they say that we need to be making sure that infants under two are not engaging in any screen time at all. So as we can hear, it's quite a like black and white rule. Mm. Um, but we're also hearing that's the movement guidelines. So we're hearing here that actually we're trying to find ways to make sure that we're having active babies that are engaging with their world and learning from their world. So it's making sure that we have time for them to engage with the world. When we think about this in practice, we know that families use screens. We know that it's something that's in our lives. It's not going away. And so it's thinking about when we might need to use them. And so for parents, I think it's making a decision about when to use them, when not to use them. If a caregiver needs to have a shower and the only way they can have their little one be okay and not crying the whole time that they're in the shower is watching a screen, then go for it. That's going to be a really important thing to look after mum or dad or whatever the caregiver is who needs to deal with their own needs as well. And so that would be probably quite a useful time to have that screen on and have it something that the the child is engaged in so that we're looking after the whole family. 
In the same way, if we need to cook dinner, it might be a good time that we actually use a screen or something like that because it allows us to have the time for the caregivers to do what the family might need in that moment. It's thinking about using these things in a way that that helps the family in general but doesn't take away those physical learning activities that the child needs otherwise. So we've learned that screens can be a powerful tool, both for education and also sometimes just to give parents a break so they can jump in the shower. But it's important in this discussion to also acknowledge some of the things we might want to avoid when it comes to screens. I was talking to my cousin who babysits a lot and she was looking after these two kids and one of them was playing, I think she said Fortnite on a device. Wow. And then... How old are they? I think she said eight. Okay. And was then double screening with YouTube shorts, which is like Instagram reels or TikTok kind of. She was a bit worried about that, thought let's maybe stop and maybe go to a movie or something so that he can do it with his sister and it's a bit more of a narrative-based thing. He couldn't sit down for more than a couple of minutes and he could not follow the narrative of I think it was a TV show of 30 minutes that they put on that he and his sister had chosen. He just could not follow a 30-minute narrative because he's so used to the constant stimulation and doing double screen at eight. And so we are trying to avoid that sort of extreme. We want to make sure we use the opportunities to sit with her and actually use the teaching opportunities that comes with certain narrative-based screen time. But then you have some kids' TV shows. So I have been warned about Coco Melon. I'd never seen it, so I watched one minute on YouTube the other day and I counted in one minute 21 jump cuts. And I was like, how is a child keeping track of that when I'm struggling as an adult? I'm sure many of you listening will have had an experience like the one Ariane was describing there. You plop your child down in front of a children's television show and they become engrossed in the screen. And it's easy to understand why. They're colourful, musical and tailor-made for our young people. I'm Peppa Pig. This is my little brother, George. Hi out there. It's me, Steve. Have you seen Blue, my puppy? Elmo's full of wonder, wonder what we will discover. But what is going on inside the brain of a baby while they're watching these shows? And is there such a thing as too much? What we know from um, adult research as well as infant research is that the stronger the visual stimulus, the stronger the response in the brain. You might remember Dr Genevieve Quick, who joined me in episode two of the series to talk about the role that screens can play in socialisation. Dr Quick studies how vision develops at the Marks Baby Lab and knows a thing or two about what's going on in the brain in response to visual stimuli. So in a very boring example, if I were to take a torch and flash it at you into your eyes and then slowly increase the strength of that beam of light that's, uh, that I'm flashing at you with a torch, we would see a corresponding increase in your brain in terms of the visual signal that's being evoked by that flash of light uh, as it enters the brain. So the stronger the stimulus, the stronger the response. 
And as we know, as you look at a screen, particularly kids programming, that stimulus is strong, right? We're looking at bright colours, high contrast between sometimes black and white or yellow and black, for example, as a very high contrast stimulus. And this is driving a really strong response in adult brains as well as in infant brains. So when you say strong, it really is to do with the colour and contrast shades? It is. So luminance, contrast are are really the big ones. And so there's been lots and lots of work by people who have really done a lot of groundwork on really mapping out the increase in the visual system that you see as a function of some parametric increase in something like luminance. We use it as kind of a tool in some of our experiments by deliberately presenting things that are bright in order to drive a strong response, or in some cases, deliberately presenting things that are harder to see in order to get visual responses that are closer to a threshold level. How do you feel that the pandemic, um, in part of your research or Baby Lab's research, how have children changed with their own experience of having more stimuli on screen? I think we can be certain that an interaction on screen is not the same as a live interaction for many reasons. Something that's really important that we know for baby development is the integration of speech and the visual input. So the view of somebody making the sounds with their mouth and then the corresponding sound that's Mm. coming into their ears. That's important for I would imagine things like person identity development, right? Understanding that that's the mother's voice and that's her face and that those two things are part of the same construct, the sound that I can hear and also the visual stimulus that I can see. But it's also important for speech development in general and language development in general. And so you could imagine that if you are watching a face on the screen do the talking, but the sound is not necessarily localized to their mouth, right? If I talk to you in Mm. real life, the sound that comes to me comes from your mouth. Mm. And I can pinpoint that to some degree um, with my very good ears. If you're a baby learning about the world, though, the sound that's coming to you out of the screen, of course, is coming from the speakers and not directly from the person's mouth. And so this kind of introduces a break in the, in the chain as babies are trying to integrate and, and understand oh, how does this sound relate to what I'm seeing in the world. So I think we can agree that a, a live interaction is going to be much better than an on-screen interaction. And I think we're moving back towards that now. I think most people, I had my own baby in lockdown and I was very keen to get her out into the world uh, to have some of these live interactions. I think most people are, are sensitive to that idea. When we are thinking about, you know, why it is that we might not want screen time, we're thinking about that screen time can take up a lot of time. You know, a show might go on for a while or another show or another show or or whatever it is on the iPad that the kid is interacting with. What they're having in those moments is they're having times when they're not doing other things. They're not engaging in physical um, activities. They're not practicing things that help them with their fine motor skills or their gross motor skills, or they're not learning from the faces and, and the other people around them. And so it's not necessarily that the screen time in itself is you know, bad or terrible or anything like that. It's the opportunities that the, the little babies have lost in that time when they've spent it not moving and not interacting with other things in their world. So it's finding a balance there if we are going to use screens, about saying, okay, I might use that, but maybe sparingly so my child doesn't miss out on other opportunities to grow and develop, which are the things that is the kind of the real work that they're trying to do. But although it's important to be aware of the challenges around screen time with children, there can also be many benefits. 
And George has been able to see these long-term benefits with his now teenage son and his use of screens. One of the things that's definitely different about the way my son grew up compared to the way that I grew up was, you know, it used to be like you go get on your bike, ride over to your buddy's house, and then they, then the two of you'd ride over to your other buddy's house, and then you guys would go, <laughs> we'd go to the park or whatever, right? Sure. You know, the kids now, they spend a lot of time, like, connecting online. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously there's some negatives on that, you know, because they're not getting as much physical activity and all that kind of stuff. But there's also some positives. So, you know, it was really interesting. I remember one point... Um, we were playing a game, Halo, right? Which most people have heard of. Okay, yes. that's, that's a fair hike. Yeah. yeah. So we I'm were not play- good at that game, yeah. by the way. <laughs> and so he was playing with a bunch of friends online. I, I joined in. And what I was amazed about is they were, they were developing this communication plan on how to win this particular level. And it was like a really advanced sort of frontal lobe, like who's going where, at what time, and how are we going to, and you pin this guy down while I'm going to go around. And I thought... Well, that's interesting. So they're developing these sort of advanced uh, thinking skills at a young age because they're trying to solve this problem, which is how do you get through the level, but you have to cooperate. And so that was an example of an online thing that I thought, oh, this is good. You know, this is helping them to develop these skills that, you know, I couldn't think of. You sort of have the equivalent in some sports games Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but I couldn't really think about like, you know, that's not sort of what when I was growing up, we certainly didn't do that. We just went to the park and got into trouble. So, and I think that that's what my my son has really shown me is that like he's learned he knows so much that he's taught himself um, that I didn't know so that and that he didn't learn at school just by being able to find the resources and using it and even you know like a lot of the things like he plays this game called Space Engineers and it's like a, a physics simulation of space and he knows more like I think he got more math out of that than he got out of <laughs> some of his education. Do you find that with your son, have you noticed uh, positive impacts in terms of his digital literacy? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, my God. That's, it's a huge thing. And in fact, one of the things that was really interesting is early on in, in sort of, you know, when everybody was saying, oh, we shouldn't be using screens and da-da-da-da-da, you know, my son was looking up videos on how to do things on YouTube. So I remember, like, he was super young and uh, the VCR wasn't working. And so I was like, well, let's take it apart. And he's, like, taking it apart with me and looking up stuff on the uh, on how to fix it. And I'm thinking, geez, this is, like, such a great resource. And it's it, and I hadn't even been doing that at that point. But then I quickly learned from him that, you know, I could find people who had already s- seen the problem and solved the problem and had a nice video on how to do it easily. Um, and that would save me a lot of time. So you've learned a lot of skills from your son. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. (laughs) What advice do you have for other parents and caregivers about positive ways that they can use screen time and how can they make that interactive and proactive? I think it very much depends on age. Our daughter is one and she's already clearly interested in screens. We will make sure we use age-appropriate screen um, and screen time as she grows. Right now, we are trying to keep it to almost nothing. We will use it very occasionally uh, if I'm driving with her in the car and she is absolutely losing it because that happens. I have downloaded YouTube Kids. I've allowed three videos for that are baby appropriate and that's it, nothing else. And we'll put a screen in front of her for 20 minutes or half an hour if I need her to just not be screaming and we have to get somewhere for an appointment or something. 
if I can help it, I'll prefer to pull over and comfort her and get her in a better mood and maybe just use some music rather than a screen. But there are times when, you know, you need a real distraction um, and you are short on time. We know children are picking up everything that's around them and learning about the world around them. How can we use screens in a positive way to influence and encourage a really positive world for children? Look, I think it's thinking about how to have them do things on screens that they, sure, enjoy, that they, you know, maybe hearing songs that are repetitive, that are helpful for them to kind of, you know, learn what those things are. Um, It's thinking about using these things in a way that helps the whole family. We want to be making sure that caregivers aren't feeling overwhelmed and stressed, and that's probably a more important thing. If the caregiver uses these things sparingly, if they get a chance to have a hot coffee in a cafe while their little one's on an iPad, and then they feel more able to engage with that little one after that moment, that's a better thing for this baby overall. That's a better thing for the family. If a caregiver can have a shower and not feel so stressed and come back and be, you know, not just washed but revitalised after that minute, that's going to be a better environment for that child overall. It's being selective at the moment so we're using these screens and thinking about how to make it a, you know, a better environment for the whole family um, where we can. How we all use screens in our own homes is a decision based on our unique values and experiences. And regardless of where on the spectrum you sit, the advice is the same. Use screens as a way to engage with your child and interact with them. Because just like with music or toys, screens are just another tool that you can use in your child's developmental toolbox. On the next episode... Leon was just perfect baby when he arrived and now I have to deal with this massive news about hearing loss. I'm not expecting this. I'm, I can't handle this right now. You are like, how this could happen? We're talking about communication concerns and what you can do if your child or someone you know is experiencing challenges with communication. That's next time on Baby Lab. The Baby Lab podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the Marks Baby Lab at Western Sydney University. Hosted by me, Emma Watkins. Audio by Kelly Fulston. Executive producer is Todd Stevens and producer is Thomas Dexter. Listener.